What is a property plan? Who uses them? Who creates them? What goes into them? Do you really need one if you want to build an investment portfolio? And where can they go wrong? Welcome to The Elephant in the Room. This is the podcast where we love to talk about the big things in property that never usually get talked about. I'm Veronica Morgan, real estate agent, buyer's agent, co-host of Foxtel's Location, Location, Location Australia and author of Auction Ready. And I'm Chris Bates, mortgage broker. Before we get started, I need to let you know that nothing we say on here can be taken as personal advice. We always recommend you engage the services of a professional. Don't forget that you can access the transcript for this episode on the website as well as download our free full or forecaster report which experts can you trust to get it right the elephant in the room.com.au back in february i interviewed the chair of the property investment professionals association of australia peter kalizos and i was shocked to discover that you don't actually need any qualifications to become a property advisor. So it's possible that you could have someone who left school in year 10 and studied nothing since put together a property plan for you. Now that's probably a bit extreme, but it has got me wondering about whether property plans hold any value for property investors. Now Chris is the perfect person to discuss this with as he has in fact worked as a property planner in a previous iteration of his career. So let's start with why somebody might seek to get one done. What do you reckon, Chris? Why do people Look, think th- they need a property plan? I think what Peter's saying is very true and it's a big bugbear of mine and yours and um, everyone who's trying to um, do the right thing in the property industry because we all want it regulated, right? We um, get frustrated with how um, people are getting sold, you know, dud investments, whether it's off the plan. You know, we all know about many groups out there that um, pitch themselves as property experts and sell um, you know, new developments off the back of research, et cetera. And we all want the property market to have higher standards. Unfortunately, the government's got no interest in regulating the property market because it's such a cash cow for them on so many levels um, and they just want to let it run free. And so the danger with this is, um, you know, organisations like PIPA, um, REBA um, are, are trying to, I guess, improve standards, but they're fighting... Um, a big property industry that's um, built off new developments um, and the government's very much aligned with them rather than um, giving good property advice. So that's sort of the lay of the land. But then you've got these things called property plans that I've seen many different versions of them, obviously. You've got people who, you know, a lot of the uh, big spruikers use them. You know, they say, come on in and we'll put you an investment property plan together and um, we'll forecast you out how this is going to make you a lot of money. And they spit out a spreadsheet that's got ridiculous variables in there and forecasts around capital growth. You know, it's got 7% capital growth rates. Um, It's got your rent's going to keep on rising forever. It's got huge depreciation in it. And they'll say, look, if you buy one, two or three of these, this is how much it's going to cost you per week, five bucks. Um, Why don't you buy three of them, you know? Um, And so they're used a lot by spruikers, definitely. I think then you've got just a, a bit of a warning around financial advisors aren't trained on property. Financial advisors generally, the le- level of education's you know, standards are having to improve. There's new degree um, thresholds coming in in the years to come, and that's why advisor numbers have almost halved. Do you know, but- just I was speaking to a financial advisor today, a young yep. one, and he said that a lot of the old financial planners who didn't want to actually up their educational qualifications to meet the new standards have become buyer's agents. Have you heard of that? Uh, I've, I've seen, seen a, that. I've seen a few. <laughs> seen a few brokers as well. Um, you know that have become uh, buyers agents as well. 
I would not want to be covered by. I think it's a tough job, to be honest, Veronica. I think you are, uh, the hours are pretty crazy. The time frames mm, you have are. to work, um, and your product is is uh, you know hard to find. You know when you want to buy quality assets, you could be a pretty a buyer's agent to buy poor assets, and that might be easy. But to buy it's good easy. assets, it's tough, <laughs> right? So yeah. anyway, that's um. You know, to good buyers agents out there, you guys work hard and I don't think it's an easy job to sort of master. But, yeah, the financial buyers aren't trained on property. Now, this is for two reasons. One, um, it's unregulated market and it's hard for them to uh, make recommendations in it with compliance and PI and all that sort of stuff. Um, but two, you know, it didn't align with their revenue model because when they recommended clients buy property, it meant they had less funds they could manage and put into investment funds, put into super, um, all these sort of things. And so... They didn't want to recommend clients to, you know, buy property because it meant they had less money to manage, which means they would make less money. And so the whole financial advice industry has completely ignored property and they're the biggest bears of property out there. Um, they don't want to admit that, that they, oh, we look at all investments, but no, uh, unfortunately you don't look at property and that's the biggest asset in Australia and people's biggest asset. So unfortunately, um, so you've got some financial advisors, very few that even look at property. I joined one of those companies and it's the reason I joined them back in 2012 was because like, this is different. You know, it's actually a financial advice business that actually incorporates property. I don't know anything about property. Let's let's sort of figure this out. Um, and fortunately, they had good property ethics. Um, I didn't know what good property ethics were back then, but fortunately mm. they did and they didn't go anywhere near the new stuff and they worked with buyers agents and it was, a you know, just lucky. Um but there are financial planning groups that um, are getting hit up every day to work around property because properties become a massive revenue stream for some financial advice businesses um, because what they'll do is they'll get a real estate license um, and they'll do this property plan and all they're really doing is pushing people into new property, which gives them big kickbacks and they've been able to s slide around the legislation there. Um, and so you've got to be really worried about them. So you've got the spruikers. I'd be really, obviously, <laughs> preaching to the converted, the financial planners who do property financial advice that then push you to developers. We've seen, um, we've had to unwind clients from them. Um, and then you've got these sort of new sort of businesses that maybe started as buyer's agents or started as uh, mortgage brokers, and then they're doing these property plans, and now they've started doing financial advice down the line. These are, these are pretty interesting ones as well, and there's, there's not many companies that work in this space um, that do these sort of semi-financial advice property plans um yeah, but yeah that's a long-winded answer to your question but i think it, who needs it who would want to get it most people who want to make properties or decisions around property they want to get good advice the problem is there's a massive shortfall on where to go you can go to mortgage brokers who mm. you most of the time are just going to pedal debt for debt even this morning i told a lady what are you doing buying property you're 59 you know it doesn't make sense at this point in your life well i went to this other broker and you know i was working for this franchise company and they were told me to push me to this developer who's going to sell this and i was like yeah you know you you stopped yourself which is great and you've come but you know you need to be getting good financial advice and looking at your super so but if you go to most brokers they're going to pedal debt if you go to most buyers agents no matter which one you go to most of them unfortunately have got a scarcity mindset hmm. and when you get in there pedal property <laughs> yeah you go in there and i've got a budget of x because i went to a broker and they said i got this they're going to push you. And as unfortunately, I'm not a fan of investment buyers agents, um, you know, who just solely do investments and buy all over the country and borderless sort of buyers agents. Mm. I mean, how can you possibly be an expert across the whole country? Um, and we could talk about those. So um, anyway, I think the 
you know, so that's, that's sort of, most people would want a property plan. Unfortunately, you just got to be careful who you get it from and what are they trying to peddle? Um, and that's what I think we can talk about today. Yeah. And I do want to get into sort of, sort of deconstruct a property plan mm. um, because from my observation, and, and we see quite a few people come to us after having paid for a property plan from someone else, yep. and they may instinctively know that the sales pitch, and so they're thinking, oh, hang on a minute, doesn't sit well, so I've got my plan though, so let's take it to a buyer's agent and start the process. Um, some of those plans, I think to myself, wow, I really don't think this person should be buying property at all, yep. because if you go to a property person... Unlike me, I'm the weirdest one of the lot that often says don't buy property. <laughs> Very unusual. If you go to most property people, they'll say, right, we'll give you a property plan and property is going to be all that you invest in. And unfortunately, a lot of people are biased towards property without knowing any better and without yeah. understanding where that can be good and where it can be bad and where it fits in your whole life you know, stage and all that sort of stuff. A lot of people are looking to replace their income with property, so they buy the wrong properties. Yeah. Um, and they're chasing, you know, uh, even today I was talking to somebody who was talking to, to you know, a potential client about somebody wanting to buy house and land, you know, package, build it, get it valued at 150000 less, more than they paid, <laughs> so that they can then borrow against it and do it again. And it's like, this is going back 10 years. This is all the stuff yeah, that was, you know, yeah. back in this great loose lending environment yeah. was going on. And it's like, you can't do it for no. lots of reasons. <laughs> and also, where does this magical $150,000 worth of equity just suddenly drop out of the sky? I mean, yeah. seriously, if it's that easy, why isn't everyone doing it? You know, yeah. it just uh, yeah. Anyway. So, so you got these property plans that are put together, either they're trying to sell something or they're put together by people who buy, like the borderless investors, who basically want to sell you up a package of buying everywhere across Australia and carve up your money and carve up your budget and property is the only way to go. Yeah. And, you know, it's like whenever they come to us with one of those sort of plans, it's like, okay, can we just, I know you've just gone through this whole exercise to get the plan in the first place and you probably paid a couple of grand to get it. But can we just sort of go back to step one and understand your goals? Yeah, for sure. Because I'm not certain that, A, this plan that's been put forward is actually going to help you achieve it because I'm not sure, I'm not certain property is the vehicle and I'm not qualified to advise you what else is the vehicle. I just know that property doesn't actually deliver in the way people think it does. And, B, what's allocated for Sydney isn't necessarily going to get you what they've told you it's going to get you. And then they've punched in and you do, you see this annual growth figure of 7%. <laughs> and it's like, it just, it's like, well, yes, it's possible if you buy the right asset and the market does what you want yeah, it to do. that's right. Um, but it's not a given. And... And so, therefore, what happens if it doesn't do that? And then if you are actually your allocation is all wrong for different markets, then then you're going to be buying a B-grade asset instead of an A-grade. I mean, it's just all it, – none of that's been taken into consideration in the plans that I've seen. Yeah. And so I thought – and the other thing that I see a lot, particularly with these property plans put together by property experts, rabbit ears around the word experts or advisors – is that you get this idea and you tell me if you've sort of seen this and, and maybe you can elaborate on this in terms of the numbers end of it. Mm. They, they say, right, you've got to buy the first one. It's A grade, although we don't want you to spend everything because we want to keep some money aside so that as soon as you've got, you know, some equity in that, then what you do, you'll actually buy a lesser property but with high yield so you've got cash flow <laughs> so that then you can buy another one after that and you can start building up your property empire. Now, 
I th- I have a theory that this is probably one of the reasons why was that seventy three percent of property investors stop at one mm. <laughs> like, well, because I- of that sort of advice. Yeah, I mean, there's so many problems with forecasting. I mean, the as a financial advisor for a long time, you know, the advice is built off a of modelling and you have to create a model to justify your advice, why that advice is better than doing, you know, this alternative strategy. And, um, you know, you used to plug it into every system offers it for financial advisors, like X-Plan's a big one, uh, you know, they use. And um, in Australia, it's probably one of the biggest ones. And so you'd plug it in and it put all these variables in and it would forecast how your income's going to go up and, Look, the reality is the world doesn't work like that, right? Like <laughs> property market went up 30%, let's call it, last year. Like it didn't go up 4% and it's not going to go up 4% next year. It went up seven years of growth in one year. Now, your plan's going to shift if, uh, and vice versa, if the property market goes flat or, you know, the, or you decide to, you know, quit your job and all these sort of things, you can't plug into a model. Life's unpredictable. And my big frustration is it was always selling the dream. Like you want to retire at X date and you want this amount of income, right? So you have, if you do nothing, you're going to be at this point and you've got this big gap. So what we need to do is come up with advice strategies to help you bridge that gap, right? And um, and then when you get to retirement, you're going to be fine. And this is sort of the problem. It's sort of this fallacy that we know that investment returns are going to be X over this time. and um, But we don't know. Life plan change. Your income could be a lot more, right? You're pushing for a promotion, you get it earlier or you don't get it or, you know, you have no kids and you thought you're going to have kids and all this sort of stuff. So I found the whole forecasting thing a little bit of a sales tool to sell products. Um, and, you know, most people can't, you know, know what their plan's going to be. You know, people's lives change, right? You didn't think you'd want to do what you're doing today. Maybe your hobbies you do today, you wouldn't imagine doing them 10 years ago. Uh, I love my gardening now. I didn't love it 10 years ago. Um, but, you know, it's going to change. And what you uh, want to spend money on is going to change as well. Like, um, you know, you might want to travel lots, but when you get older, you don't want to travel at all. You just want to, you know, get a caravan. So, um things change that's my whole frustration with forecasting generally there to sort of um you know sell the dream sell a shortfall um and you know the problem with property plans you've got financial advisors who do that which should incorporate good financial advice in there they should be looking at your super and salary sacrificing into you know your super and making sure you hit your maximums they should be making sure your super funds all in one fund and making sure it's a low-cost fund for you you know making sure your your insurances are fine and you've got the, the will set up and um and you know your testamentary trusts and you know all these sort of things they should be doing um uh, then, you know, someone, if you go to get a property plan, they're saying, well, don't worry about super, don't worry about shares or don't worry about, you know, doing debt, debt recycling and, you know, dollar cost averaging into an ETF. Let's just buy property. Um, and it's complete. I don't think you need, you should be in either camp. I think it's being very ignorant to say property is the best asset, the only way. Um, because as you get older, residential property becomes very lumpy, very low yielding. Um, you can't just sell the bricks of the house when you're in retirement. So you don't really want a lot of residential property when you're in retirement. You want a lot of liquid, high-yielding and high-growth assets like, you know, shares, commercial property, um, you know, ETFs and things like that, REITs. So that's another big frustration with it is that, you know, and unfortunately you go to financial advisors for that property plan and they don't really know what they're doing around property, I would, I would say. it's um, They haven't gone and down this journey which takes many years of trying to educate yourself and build the relationships. They don't. It's funny, I was chatted to this young guy today and and uh, I think his heart's in the right spot which is a start you know mm. he's not trying to capitalize off people's desperate desire to accumulate properties and 
and he was basically, you know, talking about some of these the things that he's had to unravel with his clients that come to him after they've been sold these dreams. And it is hard because, of course, property is a lumpy asset, which basically in financial planning terms means that it's impossible to create a balanced portfolio with someone unless they've got heaps of equity. And if they want to put one property in the investment mix, and also if they're living in their own home, they're buying their own home, think about it. It's how do you, how can you possibly just, you know, try to say it's just, it's uh, balanced. And so you can certainly understand why financial planners, if they've been, you know, the way in which they've been educated, and they've got a lot more um, education and understanding of other investment vehicles than Mm. the average Australian does. And so they probably would look at property with, you know, in alarm, thinking, why would you take that much risk on one asset? Yeah. Why would you borrow that much money just for one asset? And this is where the quality and the, the focus on capital growth has to come in because that's exactly right. Why would you unless mm. unless you were very confident it's a really, really good asset? And as you're saying also moving through your life, like I look at Resi Property now, it's unlikely that I would buy another residential at my age. I'm in my early 50s. I hate to admit that but I, at the other half of me is very proud that I'm there because it's better than being dead right <laughs> but but you know I I would be loath to invest in residential real estate now mm. because of that short runway potentially if I'm if if I was going to retire in 10 years which I'm yeah. not anyway but like if I had only 10 years left to work yeah. in there's an element of risk with that. I think it's enough time if you buy a good asset. But yep. at the same time, um, and if you don't have enough um, equity behind you, then you do have to look at that. But this is where the conversation comes into to where are you in your life and where are you in terms of your assets now yep. and the risk conversation. Stuart Weins did had this great um, two-part podcast on commercial property. Did you listen to that by any chance? No, I haven't listened to it, but it sounds like I should. Um, yeah. But what you say there around sort of, you know, your age, I guess, in terms of it is a tricky point. And, mm. you know, this is where um, you say, well, look, it's maybe, if you know, let's say, you know, if low, early 50s, it's usually fine because you've probably got at least 10, sort of 15 years potentially till you stop working. You know, depending, everyone's got different lives. But when you get to the mid to late 50s, you know, getting close to 60, that runway can start to get really short, especially if redundancies come in. Um, you know, we all know how sort of ageism and, you know, all these sort of um, things that happen, right? So, yeah, I just think it's a tough part to really talk about investing. And and, and when people come to me at that age, you know, we don't really do any marketing to encourage that, but sometimes clients did, like one this morning. Um, And, you know, I think at that age, I sort of really sort of encourage them to make sure, are you even maximising your super? Oh, no, I haven't even done that. Well, that's the biggest option for you ever. You know, you get a huge tax saving. So you need to be doing those things before you even mm. look at, you know, other options to grow your wealth. So, so it's yeah. the holistic advice that's so important and this is the problem and it is a very real problem. We can't actually provide a solution for it in this episode because yeah. it's something that this year I really want to look at ways in which potentially we can help solve this for people is that people want to invest in property but, you know, if you're a nail, everyone's a hammer. Like, well, Sorry, if yeah. everyone in the property game's got a hammer, basically, and they look at everyone like a nail. So property's a solution, right? And yeah. um, and that's an issue because property is not the solution or the type of property or the amount of properties or, or whatever is has to be looked at and there has to be respect for the differences. And But if you go to most financial planners, because I've put a post on LinkedIn saying, you know, just a shout out for anybody <laughs> who's a financial planner who understands <laughs> property, except you, Stuart, I know that you, understand property who else right yeah i had one person 
Now, maybe I don't have enough reach, perhaps, but I had one person reach out. Now, this happens to be a financial planner who is a mortgage broker. So I, I don't think he understands property anyway, but at least he does <laughs> understand that people are making really poor decisions. He gets yeah. that, right? And he also, you know, he's, he's observed and had to unravel some pretty horrible situations. So he has an understanding from that perspective, which is great. But there's one person. Yeah. Maybe I really am a bit lonely in LinkedIn, you know, I just don't have enough people. But I thought that was really interesting. They're not even trying yeah. to sell their services to me. <laughs> well, you know, most financial planners' clients are, you know, the pre-retirees and retirees. Most people go and get advice, even if it's for lots of things in their life, when they've got a problem. Like if you've got something with your back, you only go when you're in a lot of pain. And a lot of people only go see financial advisors when they go, you know, SHIT, retirement is only five years away. I mm. need a solution. Then they go to an advisor and say, what's the magic, you know, ticket? You know, how can you solve all my problems with some advice? Well, you probably should have done this 15, 20 years ago. Can we wind back uh, the clock? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, there's no, nothing I can do. I can't give you 15% investment returns. And you're not willing telling me you're willing to save $1,000 a month. And most financial advisors work in the pre-retiree space, damage con limitations, probably the word of it. Um, and uh, try to bridge that gap, um, which usually is quite big. Um, or they would deal in the retiree space. So people have, you know, probably done things for themselves. And now they just want to sit back and go get a nice coffee in a nice office and get told about their investment portfolio. Um, and a lot of advisors just clip the ticket there as well. Um, and, that, and that's not, that's been a little bit easy, you know, hard on advisors, but that's, you know, how it sort of works. Um, not many advisors work with younger clients and it's a real gap. The reason is because it's for them to make profitable advice. They're going to mm. have to charge you to run a profitable business. You know, they've got families to feed and they want to get ahead of themselves in life. And um, for them to run, they're going to have to charge you some money. You know, even if they did 100 plans a year, that would be a lot of work. And so, you know, that, to have to charge, you know, three, $4,000, you know, at least, I think, to, to sort of generate that advice, if you think about the hours they put in. Yeah. Um, and not many young people want to pay that. You know, the reality is it, it's a big thing. And they so and they don't really want to do one-off advice, like doing and trying to f find 100 people and do that one-off advice. So they want long-term relationships. And a lot of young people um, aren't willing to pay a lot of money for um, advice. And so people, young people are sort of lost. They're sort of out there, not sure where they can get advice, hence why the Barefoot Investor did so well. Um, you know, other podcasts out there have, you know, huge because they provide education and there's a big shortfall. But around the property for young people, it's just a big, big sort of gap. Um, and this is where people go, oh, I'll go to a financial advisor. But they don't really deal with young people and you pay this fee and they don't really understand property. And that's your biggest opportunity when you're young is property. And so you, mm -hmm. you've sort of gone to the wrong person who doesn't really have a product. They don't really understand the biggest opportunity for you is property. Um, and they'll and sell then you, you go a to a property plan. person who may not understand property themselves. Yeah. And, you know, that's just equally alarming. It's probably more alarming, actually, because then there's a wasted opportunity. Yeah, I've seen a lot of people coming out of um, professional jobs that have gone and bought a few properties for themselves. Um, and there have been a lot of tailwinds behind the property market, especially in the lower quality assets. Um, they're not comparing to what they could have done. They bought absolute top quality, but you know, and then all of a sudden, then I hate their corporate career and they've just gone and become a buyer's agent. And now these these investment specialist buyer's agents and they, they buy everything. And, um, you know, I think that's really dangerous people to sort of go to in terms of getting your advice because they're still early. They haven't got the runs on the board. They haven't had these learnings. You know, they maybe bought four or five properties for themselves, but 
you know, they haven't had hundreds of client transactions. Um, and well, also time, you know, because the reality yeah. is that you need a good decade and then you need to actually reflect back and benchmark in yeah. order to be able to measure the performance of the properties that you do have um, in order to work out whether you've actually done well or not. I mean, you know, so we've got a lot of history there in terms of our clients. We've got, mm. you know, a couple of different boom bust cycles. We've got, you know, good longevities, have two yeah. resales. And, and so there's good evidence Um you know, behind that. But I'm the first person to put up my hand and say, but I have learned a lot myself in that time. Hmm. And I know our advice now is better than it was 13 years ago. It was yeah, as good sure. as I could give 13 years ago, but I know it wasn't as good as it is today, you hmm. know. And that is through my own education, this podcast, but also just through also reviewing and reflecting and benchmarking and revising and looking at what we've actually done and how they performed and what's done well, what hasn't and why, you know, and understanding yep. that. If you like what you're hearing here, please share this episode with others you feel would benefit. And while you're at it, why not leave us an iTunes review? Five stars, please. Every review helps make it easier for other people to find us and hear what our amazing guests have to say. We love hearing your questions and we're planning more listener Q&A episodes. Please send your questions in. You can send them via the website, which is theelephantintheroom.com.au or directly via email to questions at theelephantintheroom.com.au. So I think one of the big issues um, in just It is actually that, Veronica. It is like looking and comparing and literally playing on RP data. What did they pay for it? What's it? Where is it? Why hasn't it performed very well? You know, why is it, you know, they bought that property here, hasn't done anything for that long. Mm. Like when you do that for thousands of people, and that's not an exaggeration for both of us over those time, you have a lot of learnings because you can see all the things that have really worked for mm. people. Why did that go so well? Like, what was the ingredients that, you know, they got us such a good result, you know? And why did that it's go up so much and that didn't? And, <laughs> you know, and that's um, just something you get with experience. And you sort of be, you know, if it's your calling, I guess, if it's something you, you know, you wake up and you think about, um, you, it's not just for the clients. It's reading and researching and things like this podcast for us that, you know, add on top of all these client experience that we're sort of throwing on top. The funny thing is, though, there's a lot of opinions out there as to what makes good property. A lot of it's dominated by the quantity argument, right? That somebody's. I've never seen it work. So that's no, I thing. haven't either. And I've seen, like, you know, we've we've got a number of clients who have gone to these these people, and the quantity shadow has never worked for a single client. And I can say that we've had the unwind clients from eight, nine, ten plus properties. Ooh, yeah. Um, and, you know, what's worked is usually one or two of those properties that they purchased prior to they went to a, a spruker <laughs> and they had a house in the Gold Coast, you know, in a good area of the Gold Coast. You know, they bought it in the 90s sometime mm. and that's gone from 400 to not a million, let's call it, right? Maybe gone up a lot in the last two years. But, you know, and it only worked because it's a house on a good street and they didn't really know what they were doing. They just bought in a suburb where they grew up or something. Mm. Um, and maybe they bought one property that was, you know, a semi-good, you know, house in a good area or something, and that's gone. But most of the properties have been laggards or done nothing. Um, and, you know, I've just never seen it work. That's the thing. And I, I, if anyone thinks they've got the quantity strategy and it's really worked for them, come on the podcast. Let's talk it and yeah. let's prove us wrong. <laughs> if anyone's bought an off-the-plan, you know, that they think really is an amazing off-the-plan, send it to us. I'm happy to talk about it. Put it through as a question. And you know, besides the high end sort of um, off the plan market, which is sort of the penthouses and 
you know, that stuff, that's a that's premium off the plan can definitely work because it's scarce product. Mm. But cookie cutter off the plan, um, come to us, show me. Uh, there, and that's the thing we do, yeah. There are exceptions to the rule, let's face it. There's exceptions to the rule on both sides of this. And, and every now and then you come across somebody who has actually managed to luck it, and they but they don't realise it's luck. You know, they actually mm. think that they've got the Midas touch. But this, this quantity um, sort of idea as to that's how you measure whether somebody's a good property investor or not, that's a problem with that metric. And it's a metric that's perpetuated by people who have something to gain out of that, and that that is spruikers and developers, right? Mm. Um, there's also this idea about, you know, um, the renovation dream, you know, and that's the scary one too because not every property deserves to be renovated. And, and yeah. I hear this sort of uh, there's some of the plans that are around buying in really low socioeconomic areas, you know, doing cheap and cheaper renovations, getting big rent for it, you know, and then supposedly getting it revalued because of the cheap and cheerful kitchen and the paint job that you've done that suddenly you get, you know, you make all this extra equity and then it goes back to quantity though. It's just not the brand new quantity. It's the really cheap cheap type property you know we interviewed um on the um your first home buyer guide podcast we interviewed um, matt ward he's the buyer's agent out at um orange mm. and he was talking about people who go out far west and they, they could buy a house of you know 50 grand you know put a tenant in it get really good rent and <laughs> like six percent on 50 grand is not a huge amount of rent and then if the air conditioner goes because they all need air conditioners that's <laughs> basically a year's rent you know like <laughs> well that's the thing with renos right like if you want to renovate a three hundred thousand dollar house like to do the electrician for a day if that's 1500 bucks you know that's a lot of money right if you spend 1500 dollars on a two million dollar house like you know it's the yep. same thing set 10 hours at the house plus some materials right yeah, exactly um, and so renovating, you know, the, A, you're going down to the poorer quality properties in terms of scarcity and demand and all that sort of stuff. And then you're trying to reno. Reno is tough anyway. It's expensive. <laughs> Labor's not cheap. Um, that is a risky strategy. We just had a client yesterday who wants to buy um, a B or a C grade property in a, you know, a B or a C location, let's call it. So, you know, not the best property in the best suburb, I would say, and then do a big reno on it and then flip it and then get into make lots of money because they you know, got industry expertise um, and then flip it and get into an A-grade property in an A-grade suburb. And um, It sounds wonderful in theory, doesn't it? Yeah, and it seems like you're going to make so much money, you know, because I can – but the you can do this in a depressed market, I would say, you know. When you can buy a BC or, a, you know, maybe not a D, but, a, you know, a, a property <laughs> that's, you know, it's good location, but you know, maybe not a great street, maybe not the perfect house, but you can add, you can dolly it up, I guess. Um, and you buy it really well, you do really cost efficient reno, and then the market moves upwards, and then you sell it at the top of the market, and you can make really good money in there. But it's all about the timing, right? Which is out of your control. Like, you know, buying it at the right time for a really good price, doing the reno, nothing going wrong with the reno, no, you know, big things, you know, skeletons pop out, and you're like, oh, I didn't know about that. Um, <laughs> And so you can make doing these reno strategies, but it's hard. It's not like the block, right? Um, and usually it's the market that makes you the money. If you just bought the house and didn't renovate it, you probably would have made just as much money um, than doing the reno. A lot of it is timing. In fact, I've um, I got Kent to give me some data, which I'm playing around with at the moment. And basically it was um, a whole bunch of properties that sold 
and then um, have sold again after 10 years. These are all just in New South Wales. So I'm basically doing some case studies to show the difference in growth, different properties. You know, some have been renovated, some are, some have performed really well, some have performed really terribly. And it's all different scenarios. If you pump them into some of these sort of these property plan sort of templates that, that I know exist, you know, you can imagine, okay, well, okay, there's all... If assuming somebody bought three cheap and cheerfuls, you know, ten years ago, wh- where would they be today? Versus one cracker, versus a real, you know, a B grade in a supposedly up and coming su- or whatever. Mm. Um, so, so the comparisons, and I haven't finished this research, and so once I've finished it, I'll maybe we'll do an episode on it. But it, it's just fascinating mm. the the differences and the different scenarios after ten years. Mm. And this is what it'll the renovation cost in there as well, or the shortfall, like the negative gearing cost or the maintenance costs. Some of these things are hard to factor in um, because you don't know those unless you you know know it's been renovated and had no idea what that's going to cost. And I start with those because you can generally find the links online. Mm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I start with those. It's quite obvious they were sold both times in the same similar. condition. Yeah, you know, perfect. Yeah, exactly. If, if, Take that and up. so that that's the starting point. And then I, mm. the next iteration of it is that I look at ones that have been in, renovated, and I and I'll use an estimate on what yeah. that may have cost. Uh, and that's, I mean, I've did this research years ago. Uh, I've spoken about mm. it on the podcast before in Roselle, but I didn't have Kent's nice little um, spreadsheets to help me. Mm. It was a lot more laborious. This one is, and this one's across New South Wales, not just in one suburb. Suburb. Yeah. So. But it it really does illustrate that what you buy is what makes a difference, you know. Yeah. So this is the same time period, you know. I could do similar, you know. I could I could try to pick chunks of the market rises and falls and all the rest of it, um, and start extrapolating it over different, you know. Does timing really work? That's a little bit more complicated. But this is to say, in the same time, same conditions, you know, different outcomes. You know, what yeah. was the input at the beginning? And so back to the whole property plan thing, I think that if people who are putting the plan together or implementing the plan or both, if they don't understand what actually makes a good asset, they don't actually understand that plugging 7% annual growth <laughs> is sort of um, misleading in mm. many cases, you know, um, then, you know, yeah, of course it all looks rosy. And because, yep. of course, a rising light tide does not lift all ships, despite yep. the fact you'll hear property people say that all the time. It's bullshit. Yeah. The hard part is if property's growing that fast, rents can't grow at 7%, wages aren't mm. going up that fast, right? So your yield's just going to keep on getting smaller and smaller, right? And you know, in 10 years' time, do the numbers of what that yield would be. And you would say, no one's ever going to be able to pay that much rent if you multiply rent by 7% every year. and. Things like oh, they that don't. Pop up. I don't think that. I have never seen anyone pop it a seven percent per annum increase in rents. Yeah. <laughs> have you, have you seen that? <laughs> no, but if you did do that, you would see how rents. So what happens is your yield gets cheaper and cheaper, right? And of course, you know, because so, yes, yeah, and so yeah. it starts to look well. The yield's one percent. Like you know, that that doesn't really make sense. And so. Um, it's, Which is, it, well, that's exactly what the problem is with investing in Sydney at the moment. To get yeah. a decent property, you, you know, you're happy if you get a 2% yield. And that is because yeah. prices, are, as you say, they rise so fast that rents cannot possibly keep up. And rents don't have the same elasticity as property prices anyway. Yeah. Because there's just not the exponential drivers to the rental market. But also people sign leases. And so their rents aren't going to go up and for, you know, until... If they do go up, they're not going to go up for like six months or 12 months. So there's an yep. automatic delay and a slowdown in terms of how rents respond yep. uh, to market pressures anyway. Yeah. And, you know, that's, that's you know, the hard part is right now you go, well, 
what do we do? You know, last year was a big year of growth. Um, you know, how do we approach investing in property? Well, the fundamentals haven't really changed, right? Like the cities are still formed the same, you know, people, what people want, maybe it's shifted a little bit. Like, I think that's a big learning COVID, you know, was a bit of an eye opener. It was like, who thought a pandemic could happen? You know, it's like one of those black swan events, um, <laughs> but that shifted the whole way the, the whole world worked, especially how we work on a day-to-day basis that was probably going to always happen, you know, that this sort of remote work, you know, efficiencies was going to happen. But I didn't think it was going to happen until the next generation sort of got into these leadership roles. And, you know, so it might only be over the next 20 years, but it all happened in one year. And that's then, you know, created, you know, investment opportunities in the regional areas and things like that. But those markets are so small, right? Like, mm. you know, the premium parts of those markets. And they've got a big supply potential issue within these areas because they've got lots of land in these regional areas for house and land packages and things like that. So I just think, you know, if you're investing in property, even though property's prices have gone up, you still don't step away from quality, you know, because they're more expensive. And I think this is the the hard part now is if you are looking to buy an investment property, I feel like you've got to spend more in 2022 than you did the last couple of years. Mm. And the sort of the opposite way I feel like people are going is, well, I'll just spend a bit less. The market's hot. You know, I'll just buy something cheap. I'll just get into the market. You know, I, I, there's no point buying that property because it's gone up 30%. Well, you know, if you want to buy a quality investment, even though it's gone up 30%, that's what you'd still want to bet on over the next 10, 20, 30 years than this cheap property that hasn't gone up as much and it's, you know, it's got other issues. So I think that's a real dangerous for investors right now is that they they don't want to bite the bullet and pay what they need to to get a quality asset because it's gone up so much and, um, yeah. It sounds so boring. We keep banging on about the same thing, really. But it, these things don't change. They're, that's why they're called fundamentals. <laughs> yeah. The, the thing too that it's something that it sort of dawned on me. I don't know. I was doing. I was running a um a where to buy for investors workshop with um mm. actually with Megan and with Ken and you know and you hear this line from people. Oh, I don't want to buy in a blue chip area. Or I don't want to buy in a really established suburb. Or I don't want to buy. You know. Balmain's a classic, and I, just, I refer to Balmain a lot purely because that's where my office is. But I don't want to buy in Balmain because that's already had its run. And I still hear this, and I go, do you think that it's never, ever going to grow in value again? Like, mm. And it's like if it's already had its run and you invest in there, then you've actually got a, a, a bigger amount of money invested in a good area, which is sort of it's like the snowball. You've got, more, you've got more surface area, and so technically – you know, if it performs well, you should do better than mm. buying in an area, you know, a lesser area. But the just the whole concept of that it's had its run, it's a one-off, you know, yeah. and it's so wrong in property because it does feed people into this hotspotting type of mentality where you've got to get into the next hotspot and that's your one shot at really making money. It's the yeah. long term. It's the long boring term yeah. that makes yeah. by, you know, by buying a quality asset and holding on to it in a good area, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And it's it's really bloody boring, but it's so beautiful after, you know, after that period of time and you look back and go, wow, that once I made that difficult decision of buying it in the first place like it was pretty easy really <laughs> yeah it's also about sort of you know you, you're setting yourself up for failure if you a, go to the wrong people um and ask for the wrong things you know um you know i remember i went to a uh, a seminar i think it's you know quite hilarious i was laughing at myself because i fell for it right i you know, they were using richard branson as the um you know, the main star who was doing a talk. I'm like, oh, I've seen Richard Branson do a talk. You know, it's only 80 <laughs> bucks a ticket or whatever. And I rocked up at this thing 
and they put him on right at the end. I was like, should have just went late. Obviously, they're going to put him on late. But I'm, like, I'm here now. Um, I might as well just listen to the talks. And it was one after the other spruiking something, Forex trading, property in the US. Um, yeah, I can't remember those. Lots of just spruiking ways to get rich quick. Mm. And it was in a big stadium in Melbourne. And I remember just thinking, I was up top, and every time that, you know, this person would do their pitch and it was hilarious watching them. And then if you don't get in now and everyone would just run. And so you're setting yourself up for failure going to that event, you yeah. know, um, and you're setting yourself up for failure. If you go into a financial advisor and ask for a financial plan that's a yeah, property plan to help you purchase a property or you, where should I buy a property? That's the worst question you should ask, mm. right? Um, and so you just got to be very careful the questions you ask and who you ask them from because there's lots of people that will just take that and go, okay, yeah, that's what you want. Right, I can give you that um, that solution. And in property market, it's pretty rife, um, you know, around sort of just recommending whatever it is that, you know, they know. And unfortunately, they, you know, haven't spent the time to build those networks. And it's, you know, it's compelling, isn't it? I mean, it, we all want an easy life and yeah. easy life and we want wealth and um, I want to know the secret that everyone else seems to know but I don't know or whatever. It's a dangerous, dangerous thing and yet there's a, industries and not just in property that, that make a lot of money from it, from this false belief that there's an easy way to do things. You know, people yeah. just don't want to do the work. They don't want to actually go through the process, learn the fundamentals, apply the fundamentals, be patient and do the work. And, you know. I think that's no bang on. To be honest, financial advice is actually really simple and it's one of the things where we, you know, there's only so many tools you've got in your toolkit and then you, um, firstly, it's like, okay, so work on your income and do a job that you're passionate about and that you can actually stay in long term. There's no point trying to earn money today if you don't want to do it tomorrow, yeah. right? And then live you know a life within your means right um and you know spend your money on the things that you get value from and you know don't waste it on things that don't give you value right so experience material possessions i guess you could say um and just being you know understanding that you know you, you there's no point working 40 50 60 hours a week if you're not taking anything at the end of it you know, if you're only you know 200 grand a year and you're spending it all every what are you what are you working for just to go out and have a good life but not actually putting yourself you know so you've got to save right what you save, you then got to invest it, right? And, you know, when you're starting out, you want to build that deposit up and you might look at shares and, you know, ETFs and all those sort of things um, to get going. But once you get a certain amount of money, then you want to probably leverage it, you know, and that's where property makes a lot of sense because you're probably earning, a, you know, an all right income. Uh, so it's buying good property. When you're on top of that, maybe you want to add value to that property because um, that, you know, you usually get good bang for buck. You know, if you ever want to sell it, you probably got increase your chance of selling it for a good price. Plus you get the lifestyle benefit. Um, you want to look at, you know, looking at things like tax benefits, like putting money into super, make sure your insurances are, are all sort of signed just in case you, you know, get ill or pass away and make sure you've got your wills. Um, and then once you, you know, you've got a home you love and a home you can grow into, let's say, um, you know, good asset growing for you tax-free, then you may want to buy one or two quality investment properties over the next five or 10 years, you know, um, and maybe you want to start up a short, small share portfolio. Look, that's kind of it. Um, you know, that's all you can really do. And so um, that's sort of how, and I, and you know, those are the fundamentals you just apply for the rest of your life, you know, um, and compounding and making sure that you, you know, don't try to pick stocks and all that sort of trade, you know, pretty dangerous way to play. Well, there's a lot of evidence on that, isn't there, about the people that actually actively trade do worse than the people who, who pick 
you know, invest the time choosing good stocks and set and forget. You know, yeah. there's loads of evidence around that and studies that have been done on yeah. that. Um, and yeah. look, and so I guess what's the answer? The answer is if you're wanting a property plan, it's like, well, you need a holistic plan. We don't yet know enough um, financial planners are out there who are able to give you that. And that's a massive gap in the market. And I don't know how easy it can be to be filled, but if you've got some suggestions, put your hand up, let us know, share yeah. it with us. Um, you know, because you want the holistic plan, you want to know where property sits in that plan, how it sits, how it's meant to perform for you. It's not the be all and end all, and definitely the amount of properties you end up owning is not the measure of your success. Um, and then, you know, work through chipping away at those things one one at a time that you've just outlined there. So basically, if you, you know, download this, yeah. get a transcript of just what Chris just said, and then <laughs> that's yeah. your property plan. <laughs> yeah. I mean, one of the other challenges is that, um, you know, it's like you build out these businesses, and there's some businesses that do this, right, is they have a financial advisor, right, who has a salary, is getting paid, and they have targets of how many plans, right? So if they've got customers coming in that they don't generate, the business generates them, they put them on a plate, and that financial plan has to convert them, right? So it's not their business. So they're just here, to, they're hitting their targets, they're getting paid a salary, right? So they're going to sell plans, right? If you go in there asking for a plan, they're not going to say, oh, I don't think it's a good idea. They're not going to get a, have a job next week, right? So they're going to sell the plan. In that plan, they're going to have to recommend property because they're going to have a buyer's agent sitting next to them in the business and their job is to recommend a property no matter what the budget is, right? And then the buyer's agent's going to get that plan with that client. The mortgage broker is saying, hang on a sec, we need to sell them debt. They're earning whatever it is. They need <laughs> loans, right? Mm. And so everyone in the business is just thinking about their own little KPIs and their own business because they're not thinking long-term. They're thinking about their salary and their bonus. Mm. You know, the reality is they haven't got a long-term mindset. They're an employee. And that's one of the dangers when you go for these businesses is that everyone is just looking out for their own individual situation and their financial plan is trying to sell plans and insurance and the, the mortgage broker is saying to the financial planner, hey, there's debt there. Why aren't you selling debt? The, and then there's property opportunity there. Why aren't you selling property opportunity? And everyone just sort of, you know, supports each other within the business. No one's sort of putting their hand up and saying, hang on, I don't think this is really good advice. I don't think you should really do this. The bigger the business gets, the less um, the, the owners of the business see what's happening on a day-to-day -day basis. The reality is how can you? How can you be? And unfortunately, you can't attract the best talent in these businesses because the best talent don't want to be the employees. They want to run the show and they want to, you know, have their own business. The own financial advisors will go off and start their own ship. The best mortgage brokers will go and start their own ship. The best buyers agents will start their own ship. So um, the problem with these big companies is the quality advice gets very diluted. It becomes very cookie cutter. It becomes a sausage factory. And the quality advice just keeps on deteriorating because everyone keeps looking out for their own interests. And um, we've seen some big collapses in um, financial planning companies that do this um, because the reality is it doesn't take long for ASIC to pick up on it. And ASIC will start to look at the quality device. A couple of complaints to ASIC will, will show this. Um, the ASIC do an audit. They do a bit of a mystery shop. And, and then, bang, they start to see that it's all conflicted advice and it, it comes down. You know, a big company that went under recently was Dixon Advice. Um, mm. You know, it was advertised in the AFI every week. Oh, yeah, um, big on and, the SMSF space. Yeah, property and property. And they were doing a, yeah. their own US property fund that um, yeah. sort of blew up, et cetera. What you mentioned around active funds is very true. You know, one of the biggest funds in Australia is having a really tough time at the moment. There was, you know, the, there was the picture, the poster boy of, you know, the Warren Buffett of Australia. Mm. Um, you know, most financial advisors would have, you know, that company in their portfolios. Um, 
and it's what you call like a star fund, like a top performing fund. Um, and then it's hard to outperform and then there's fun, fun people that say, oh, why should I keep my money in that? I'm going to pull my money out mm. and everything changes at those funds. So even the best active managers go through down times and sometimes they don't recover and they lose all the profits they made in the past. And um, so that's another problem we were talking about. So, right, the title of this episode is really what's wrong with property plans and I think we just <laughs> covered it. Um, I hate, I really do hate to not be able to provide a solution uh, other than do your own work, learn, yeah. and that is going to be your safest way. Um, you know, I want to find a way to scale it and I'm not sure it's even possible, but, I, I, you know, that that's my project for this year. Yeah, the only so, final thing I would say on this is that, um, you know, one of the hardest parts is is that once you, you get your, your home and you try to go to these investment property things is just be really careful of the buyer's agents that will go and buy everywhere. You know, I don't think it's possible. Go and buy. We don't work with one buyer's agents. We work with lots in Sydney. Mm. We work with lots in Brisbane, lots in Melbourne, lots in all over the country, places in, in, the, in the country, you know. And every time we hear about someone who's good in a certain pocket that we don't have any on, we go and suss them out. You know, that yeah. takes time. But... We know we've got a right solution because we've got that local expert who's the business owner who's got reputation risk, who's that's their they're focused on, and they're not focused on trying to buy everywhere. So, um, yeah, if you are trying to do it, really find that local specialist buyer's agent. Absolutely. If you're looking to buy your dream home or an investment property in Sydney's inner west, eastern suburbs, or North Shore, my team and I can help you buy without regrets. Reach out via my website, gooddeeds.com.au. If you're looking to buy your first home thinking of upgrading into a new one or purchasing an investment property anywhere in Australia, my team love to carefully guide you on this journey and most importantly, get the finance right. Reach out via our website, wealthful.com.au. Thanks for joining us. We'd love to see you again. And remember, don't be a dumbo. (laughs) 